Volume Two, Chapter Ten of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith, Volume Two, Chapter Ten. The road they were travelling led along the side of Alveston Park for near a mile and a half. Celestina had never passed it before but on the day when Mr. Thorold had taken her to his house, and then she had been so lost in mournful contemplations as hardly to notice whither she went. Now, however, the profound silence she had fallen into on parting from Jessie was suddenly broken by an exclamation, for on looking up, she saw one of the park gates and cried, "'Alveston, is it not? Oh, yes, I see it is. There is the house.' Cathcart answered that it was, and after another short silence, Celestina said, "'To anybody but you, Cathcart, I should be afraid of betraying my weakness. But you are now in place of a brother to me, and knowing my situation, will indulge my regret.' I have a strange fancy to get out and go up to that tuft of beech-trees on the brow of the hill. It is not far. I shall not be gone long. Will you wait for me? My time is yours, replied he. But will you allow me to observe that it is perhaps wiser to endeavour to conquer this useless regret than to indulge it? I know it would be wiser, answered Celestina, but alas— we are not always able to be wise. I think I shall be easier when I have once more taken of that spot where I have often been so happy, a last adieu. "'Heaven forbid it should be the last!' cried Cathcart, as he assisted her to leave the chaise. "'I foresee many, many happy days for you yet, when you will be mistress of that house.' "'Ah, dear Cathcart!' returned Celestina, half smiling through the tears that filled her eyes. How happy a convert shall I be to the doctrine of second sight, if your prophecy should ever be fulfilled. But no, I feel too certainly that this is the last time I shall ever behold this dear place. She then went into the park over the stepping stile, and walking about half a quarter of a mile, reached the group of beech-trees, which shaded a high knoll in the park, from whence the house, half concealed by intervening wood, appeared to great advantage. It was now the beginning of May, and the trees under which she stood were just coming into leaf, while others scattered over the park were many of them of the most vivid green, contrasted by the darker shade of fir and cypress mingled among them. One of the trees of this clump was marked by Willoughby, with her name, his own, and his sister's, and the date. It was five years since, and the bark had grown rough and knotted round the scars, but the letters still remained. It was to revisit this well-known memorial that Celestina had been anxious, and now she could hardly bear the thoughts of leaving it. She recollected every trifling circumstance that happened when Willoughby cut those letters. The clothes he wore, and his very look, were again present to her, while in the breeze that sighed among the trees, 
she fancied she heard the sound of his voice and that he pronounced the name of celestina in this state of mind she had almost forgotten that cathcart waited for her till a herd of deer ran bounding by her and looking up she saw following them in mimic race several horses which grazed in the park there was among them a favourite little mare which willoughby had been fond of from a boy it had always carried him to eton and been the companion of all his boyish sports and when it became old had been turned into the park in summer and carefully sheltered in winter while mrs willoughby lived it had been accustomed to be fed with bread once or twice a day from her hand from her daughters or celestina's and since her death the old servants in the house with whom it was a sort of contemporary had accustomed it to the same indulgence to which it had become so habituated that on sight of any of the family it went towards them to be fed this creature therefore no sooner saw celestina's clothes fluttering among the trees than it left its companions and came neighing towards her celestina fancied the animal remembered her she caressed it fondly and with tears in her eyes and a deep sigh cried ah fachette you recollect then your old friend when perhaps your still beloved master is trying to forget her and may already have succeeded but too well she found herself too much affected with this idea and turning her swimming eyes towards the house the contrast between what she now was and what hardly a month since she expected to be the fearful apprehension that willoughby had suddenly become a convert to avarice and ambition and that miss fitzhaman who had the power to gratify both those passions would soon possess the place where she had fondly hoped to constitute the happiness of his life whose happiness was dearer to her than her own all crowded with cruel force on her mind and feeling her sensations become more and more painful she tore herself from the spot which had so forcibly presented them fanchette still following and importuning her to be fed she walked slowly towards the park gate and saw cathcart who began to be uneasy at her stay coming to meet her he understood the nature of her sensations too well to make any inquiries but offering her his arm in silence led her toward the chaise before she ascended the steps of the stile she turned once more to look at the horse kissed the sensible animal as it licked her hands and pronouncing a half-stifled and tremulous adieu fanchette she got as hastily as she could into the chaise and desired cathcart to order the postilion on quickly since i must go said she i would be soon out of sight of this place for i find i cannot bear it i feared indeed replied cathcart it would too much affect you both then returned to their former silence while celestina as her thoughts went back to past pleasures and as her heart felt all the bitterness of disappointed hope indulged herself without restraint in the sad luxury of sorrow she no longer saw the objects she passed or thought of whither she was going but alverstone was still present to her eyes and she saw willoughby wandering among its shades as if looking for lost happiness 
and returning discontented to his house whence the sullen magnificence and arrogant superiority of his haughty heiress had driven all domestic comfort she heard him sigh forth too late his regret and lament that for advantages he could not enjoy he had relinquished the competence he might have possessed with the tender attachment and grateful affection of his celestina tears fell slowly down her cheeks as these distressing images presented themselves and insensibly the tender adieu she had taken of the place the tender wishes she had formed for the lamented friend and lover to whom it belonged arranged themselves into verse and produced the following sonnet farewell ye lawns by fond remembrance blest as witnesses of gay unclouded hours where to maternal friendship's bosom pressed my happy childhood passed amid your bowers ye woodwalks wild where leaves and fairy flowers by spring's luxuriant hand are strewn anew rocks whence with shadowy grace rude nature lures o'er glens and haunted streams a long adieu and you o promised happiness whose voice deluded fancy heard in every grove bidding this tender trusting heart rejoice in the bright prospect of unfailing love though lost to me still made thy smile serene bless the dear lord of this regretted scene this disposition of mind mournful as it was afforded celestina so much melancholy indulgence that it was very reluctantly she was roused from it by their reaching hunnerton where she was glad to find vavasour not yet arrived for though she was sensible of the friendly interest he took in whatever related to her and imputed it to no other motive than regard for willoughby and pity for her own situation there was an impetuosity in his manner and a freedom in his discourse which though it did not offend her because she knew it was his usual way with everybody was yet often oppressive to her and since mr thorold's caution had become more so than before she observed too that cathcart was not pleased at his purpose of accompanying them to london and had expressed more than once in the little conversation they had together during their journey his hope that she would find his sister mrs elphinstone such a companion as might engage her to continue with her celestina who was perhaps a little too fastidious in the choice of her company from having in her early years had her taste set very high by mrs willoughby was becoming generally indifferent now from the little expectation she formed of being gratified and though her overcharged heart languished for the soothing pleasure of unburthening itself to such a friend as the simple and sensible jessie she knew it was very improbable that any one whom she might meet should replace her she answered cathcart however that she doubted not mrs elphinstone's merit since she was his sister and was greatly prejudiced in her favour by jessie's account of her but my dear sir said she it is i who have the greatest reason to doubt of my reception and i have thought since the plan we hastily formed a very wild one mrs elphinstone occupied by her family may have as little occasion for a companion as taste for an intruder into her domestic circle 
and she may perhaps on your recommendation accept what her own inclination may be averse to receive besides she has a husband of whom i know nothing and to whom the presence of a stranger when he expects only his wife and family may be disagreeable i own i have thought of a journey into the north with more pleasure than anything else can now give me for it is the only part of this island i have not seen something of in those summer excursions which my dear mrs willoughby was fond of making but with whatever satisfaction my fancy has dwelt upon it i ought not to think of it farther at least till i have seen your sister cathcart repeated again and again his assurances of the happiness her company would bestow on his sister and continued to lay plans for the accommodation of their journey while celestina could not but think with internal anguish on her very forlorn situation compelled to solicit the friendship and protection of strangers or remain alone unfriended and unprotected she blessed however again the fortunate chance that had brought her acquainted with jessie and cathcart without whom her condition would be yet more desolate and for once saw evidently the lasting good that had been produced by a transient evil the troublesome impertinence of mr jedwin as they arrived at hunnerton sooner than they expected celestina proposed going on as far as axminster nine miles farther before they dined to this cathcart consented hesitating however a moment whether they ought not to wait for vavasour celestina seemed averse to it and said if there was any rudeness in their going on without him she would herself be answerable for it they proceeded therefore to axminster and were just set down to their dinner when vavasour at the expense of almost killing the four horses which drew him arrived his volatile humour never forsook him and he seemed now unusually disposed to indulge it he gave the most ludicrous account of the manner in which he had misled the curiosity of mrs cranfield by setting out very gravely for oakhampton and then cried oh and i tell you who i met as i rode back to cranfield's your languishing lover montague thorold looking poor dog so distant and so dismal he was composing i fancy an elegy on your departure for i rode almost against him in the cross lane that leads from old thorold's grounds towards cranfield hall and he had a paper in his hand on which he was so intent that he did not see me till i awakened him with a whoop whoop as if i had been in at the death he started and i was afraid as i might have spoiled a thought that he would feel some poetical indignation but instead of that he popped the paper into his bosom as if he feared i should have seized it and then with as much humility as if i had been the head of his college he pulled off his hat and professing himself glad to see me inquired where i had left you i told him on your way to london and that i was going back to cranfield's and we parted with the utmost politeness celestina who had really a friendship for montague thorold could not hear of his anxious solicitude for her without a mingled sentiment of regard and concern which as her face expressed every emotion of her heart was immediately perceived by the quick and penetrating eyes of vavasour 
he did not spare her but rallied her with more success than politeness on the influence this college lad for so he chose to term him had obtained over her upon my word said he i shall think it necessary to put willoughby upon his guard a little and how do you know sir answered celestina that mr willoughby will thank you for it or that admitting mr montague thorold was really more to me than a common acquaintance which you do not seriously believe how are you sure that your friend would not be rather pleased that the affections he may wish to be troubled with no more are transferred to another transferred exclaimed vavasour you admit then that such a transfer is probable not probable at all but certainly it would with most people be possible and if it were with you i am convinced that montague thorold is not the man to whom willoughby would wish them to be transferred he could however have very little pretence after having resigned them himself to dictate to whom they should be given but of what use mr vavasour is all this argument whether i shall ever see willoughby again or no is very uncertain but it is very certain that if i do not i shall never marry at all vavasour saw he had gone too far and cathcart at that moment returning to them to say the chaises were ready the conversation dropped for that time celestina peremptorily resisting the efforts vavasour made to induce her to go at least the next stage in the chaise with him they reached dorchester that evening and celestina after a slight supper complained of being a good deal fatigued with her journey and going as soon as she could to her chamber left the two gentlemen together vavasour naturally unreserved even to indiscretion and seldom taking the trouble to conceal his sentiments was totally off his guard when he had drunk five or six glasses of wine and since willoughby who alone had the power to restrain any of his excesses had been less with him he had accustomed himself to take more than double that quantity when he either dined or supped celestina was no sooner gone therefore than he ordered in another bottle of claret and before it was finished he had told cathcart without reserve all that he thought taking occasion to toast celestina he said tell me frank what do you think of her is she not a charming girl most undoubtedly replied cathcart she appears so to me who knows that her very lovely person is the least of her merit to me who owe her more than life and who throughout mine shall have reason to bless the hour that first threw my jessie in her way yes by heaven cried vavasour she is an angel and i cannot for my soul guess at this strange mysterious business of george's leaving her for though it is a desperate undertaking for a man to marry at all yet he had got over that and doted upon her to a degree that i never imagined possible till i saw them together i cannot understand it and the more i think about it the more incomprehensible it becomes tell me cathcart do you think he will ever now marry her my dear sir replied cathcart i can only say with you that the more i think the less i comprehend of the affair i'll tell you frank i am pretty well persuaded that he will never marry her nay that he has made up his mind to tie himself to the fifteen thousand a year 
and the Viscount's title, which are the appendages of his cousin. Yet why, unless he had fully determined against all the temptations that match offered him, why carry matters so far with Celestina? And who the devil could those two women be, who it seems put the matter by and sent him off in such a hurry? I never could find out, replied Cathcart. He was himself the only person who knew, and of him, as he avoided all explanation, I could not inquire. What? Did you never ask whether they were young or old? I asked, but the people hardly saw their faces. They came in the evening, and went away in the middle of the night. But from the little information I could make out, neither of them appeared young. I should have thought, for you fellows that affect principle are not always to be depended upon, that George had got into some filly scrape or other, with some wench that he might have promised to marry. But any such entanglement might have been easily got rid of, without his flying away from Celestina, or even from his country. Well, there is no making it out, but I believe it is clear enough that Celestina will now never be his wife, and that being once ascertained, Cathcart, do you know she is the only woman upon earth whom I shall ever think of making mine? Yours, sir? exclaimed Cathcart. Aye, mine, sir. I owe it is rather extraordinary that even my divine Celestina should make me meditate on matrimony, but such a wonder was worthy of her only, and she has effected it. I never was uneasy half an hour in my life about any woman till I saw her at Alveston, or rather till I became acquainted with her, for I have seen perhaps handsomer women, or at least those that were at first view more striking. Faith, I found myself growing so cursed foolish about her, that supposing her then to be on the eve of marriage with my friend George, I thought it best to fly for it, and by going back to my old haunts, you know my way, I got her out of my head a little, and could have seen her Willoughby's wife coolly enough. But the moment I heard he had left her, this confounded love, I suppose you call it, began to play the devil with me again, and I could not be easy, knowing the folks she was with, without coming down to see after her. However, Captain Thorold, it was that puffing fellow I was most afraid of, had not, I believe, the least interest. Nor will any man have it, I fancy, replied Cathcart. At least I am sure that nothing less than the certainty of Mr. Willoughby's marriage with another would for a moment detach her from the invariable affection she has for him. I even question if that would make any alteration in her heart, though it might in her prospects. Pooh, pooh! cried Vavasour. You have not studied women, I find. Celestina has too much spirit and too much sense to mope away her youth and beauty and dwindle into the neglected ugliness of ancient maidenhood, because Willoughby did not know his own mind. Her pride, and she is not without it, will help her to get the better of an attachment, which will only be a source of mortification to her. No, no, let me be once sure that Willoughby gives her up, and I don't think it very presumptuous to say, that in a fortnight afterwards I carry her to Orkneybury, Mrs. Vavasor. Till then, however, sir, said Cathcart, till you are quite sure that all is at an end between Mr. Willoughby and Mr. Mornay, 
you will of course hold it a point of honour not to declare your intentions it will distress her extremely if you do for thinking of you as i know she thinks she will conclude you are very certain that all ties are dissolved between them or you would not address her in a way which while those ties are undissolved she will call a breach of honour towards your friend ay that's all very true replied vavasour but let her take care then how she shows a disposition to favour that sucking parson that montague thorold though i'm willing to allow willoughby the preference i am by no means disposed to give the pass to such a greenhorn as that and to tell you the truth frank if i were sure she preferred him i might commit some folly or other well sir cried cathcart rising to wish him good-night she is not likely to be in his way and if she were i am very certain mr willoughby has nothing to fear from him and as to yourself you know you agree that while he is in question you are entirely out of it cathcart then left him to finish another bottle alone and carried with him no very agreeable reflections notwithstanding all that had passed he could not divest himself of the hope of seeing celestina united to willoughby whom alone he thought worthy of her his own competence and happiness which they only had given him would he felt be incomplete if both or either of them were unhappy and unhappy he thought they must be if they lived not for each other whatever scheme therefore interfered with a union he so much desired he felt as a sort of injury to himself and though the extreme good humour generous spirit and gay temper of vavasour made it impossible to dislike him cathcart was convinced from the little he knew of his manner of life and his very free principles that were willoughby wholly set aside he was a man with whom the sensibility and purity of mind of celestina would never allow her to be happy he foresaw therefore nothing but uneasiness for her in his intended pursuit of her and thought with redoubled anxiety of her situation as early the following morning as vavasour could be prevailed upon to move they renewed their journey and about six o'clock that evening having taken leave of vavasour in piccadilly who took cathcart's directions in order to be with them the next morning celestina was set down at the lodgings mrs elphinstone had removed to in suffolk street charing cross End of chapter 10